Peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. David speaks in Psalm 116.10, I believed even when I spoke. Translated, since I have faith, I must speak. The prophet Jeremiah does a similar thing. He had brought a prophecy of misfortune to the apostate nation of Israel. And because they hated the message, the message that he had for them from the Lord, he adds, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of withholding it, for I cannot. In both examples, we see that true faith is kindled in the heart of man by God himself. Faith, like a, a fire, burns and bursts into a conflagration and breaks forth into the ardent heart of confession. See how zealously the apostle preaches in Jerusalem. We see later Paul in chains confessing his Lord in Christ to the governors Felix and then Festus, and then later to King Agrippa and his queen, and later unto the household of Caesar himself. Christians were very zealous in confessing their Lord in the first 300 years of the church. In those times, death was at stake. Flogging and stabbings and crucifixions fed to lions. Nothing could hinder the Christian witness or confession that he is risen. We are Christian. We confess our Lord in everything that we do, at every point in our lives and days. The Romans tried to burn us out, we fought them. The popes angrily excommunicated the lot of us, we outpublished them. The Kaiser pronounced a fearful ban upon the name of Luther throughout all of the empire, and so we just left. I believe. Even when I spake, it was true then, it's true now. I believe, therefore I speak. I speak the truth of everlasting life found only in Jesus Christ. Now the opposite of this confession is denial. It is impossible to find a middle ground. There is no neutrality when it comes to truth. Christ says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. But denial comes in many forms. John came dressed in camel's hair with a great self-denial, and he did so not to earn merit, but to gain attention, to gain an audience, and it worked. The Holy Spirit was at work in his message as well, and John drew the attention of the entire nation. In prophetic fashion, he began to preach repentance and announce the nearness of the long-awaited coming of the Messiah. And with John's authority, the people grew every day. And at every level, eventually even King Herod came out to listen to the preaching of John. Eventually, he made so much noise that even the priests, even the Pharisees, had to send a delegation in order to do an investigation. And they asked him point blank, just very simply, who in the world do you think you are? Out here in the wilderness telling people to repent of their sins. John answered, I am not the Christ. That's what they went out there to find. Do you consider yourself the Messiah? With that, John withstood the first temptation and the worst and the greatest denial of Jesus, which is to take the place of Jesus himself. I am not the Christ. What then? Who are you? Elijah? He says, no. Are you the prophet? He answers no, which is a, a, a very odd answer considering 
that Jesus later, Christ's own words, identifies John the Baptist as Elijah, if you would believe it, that he should precede the Messiah. Didn't Christ call him a prophet? Of all of those born of, of woman, none was greater than John the Baptist. See how carefully John's conduct must be in order to confess his faith and to avoid people having issues with it and to avoid mistakes in what he had said. The Jews supposed that John really was Elijah who had lived a long time ago, but John was only called Elijah because he comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah. The question he answered was in the sense that they asked the question, he is not Elijah. He is not Elijah reborn. He has not been sent from the Star Trek Enterprise on an away mission. He has not been beamed down. Now Elijah does come. But this is not transfiguration. The same was true with regard to the question of whether he was a prophet. In a sense, he answered the question what they wanted to know. He was a prophet, but he's not that prophet. So that they couldn't go back and assemble stories. He answers with a decisive no. In this confession, he wished to make it impossible for them to draw any false conclusions. Yet the delegation continues with their questioning, then who are you? We need to give an answer to those who have sent us. What do you say about yourselves? He says, I am a voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the path of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah foretold. We see from this answer how earnestly John thought about it and how he answered in such a way that did not deny anything. John not only said that he was a herald or the forerunner of the Messiah, but also that he was to prepare the hearts for the Messiah to come and the preaching of the repentance. And the priest and the Levites would have to listen to his answer, and they may have listened in anger, not a kingdom. They did not believe in this kingdom of the Messiah. They did not believe in a kingdom based upon repentance, much less that they needed to repent, much less that they had to enter into this kingdom themselves. Finally, having enough of John's answer, they said, why are you baptizing? If you're not the Messiah, and you're not Elijah, and you're not that prophet, what business have you to confess anything to anybody? Seizing upon the opportunity given unto them, John gave a correct and a clear testimony that is the deepest that, 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 that Jesus of Nazareth was coming. The day of the Lord was upon them. The Messiah would be here momentarily and in fact is already here. I baptize with water, but one among you stands that you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Today, there are those who declare Jesus to be a man, a mere man, an acceptable man, an outstanding man. They are guilty of gross denial of the Lord God Almighty. They deny that he is the savior of all men, they deny the truth of God. They deny the truth of Jesus' divinity. They, they deny the need for repentance. They deny the coming of the kingdom of God. They're great deniers of God. 
to these gross deniers of Christ are also those that confess Christ with their mouth, but with their lives lead open lives of sin, showing that they don't want anything to do with Christ. They confess faith in their confession. They say they believe. They wear crosses around their necks, things around their car, artwork in their house, but they are nothing more than clanging gongs and chiming cymbals. When push comes to shove, they live the way they would prefer to live not the way God would prefer them to live. They don't live in that repentance. They simply do whatever they want whenever they feel like it and say, well, I'd, I think that God would not care what I do. The example of which John shows, are you Elijah, are you the prophet? John felt obliged to answer with a no in order not to be guilty of an error that the Jews associated with the expression of the question to learn this. Even he denies Christ who denies any truth of the gospel. Even those truths that seem unto us unimportant at the time also work to confirm the errors in other people. Even harmless denials of Christian doctrine can lead people to question their faith and to deny Christ and harm the faith of others. We see this in many mainline denominations. We see this in many evangelical churches. These churches in seeking relevance and larger congregations and keeping up with the times, whether it be sexual identity or immoral politics or, spoke or stoking the pains of racism, all manner of division they preach on one hand while currying favor with other populations on the other hand, all of this is the denial of the truth of the gospel and denies Christ himself, it denies his word and makes Christ out to be a liar. Because they preach not repentance of sins. They preach whatever the world would like to hear. But wait, there's more. As we have seen, John was definite in his confession. Therefore, whoever confesses the truth, but in order to evade the mockery of your foes, confesses only in such a way that allows your foes to interpret your confession with their own favor, thus leave you alone about it, also denies Christ. You must diligently confess your faith and do so in a way that your opponents do not misunderstand what you're saying. That they cannot misunderstand what you're saying. In John's case, he did not suppress the truth, which he knew would offend his questioners. He risked their anger. It was true that it came to preach unto all. Make straight the way of the Lord. He was to preach that by nature we are all unable to receive the Messiah or we are sinful beings. He was told to show them their sin, to hold it up before their face, that they might have the opportunity to repent of their sins, that he might call them to repentance. This is how you look. My point is, Christ can be denied in many of ways, including the suppressing of the truth. And we can confess a lot of stuff, but in order to keep the friendship of the world, if you suppress that truth, you have denied that truth. John chapter 12, verse 24. You find yourself belonging to that wretched group of Jewish leaders, as we read, Nevertheless, there were many, even of the authorities, who believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be thrown out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory of men more than the glory that comes from God. 
Finally, we, we hear what John asked in the, in, for the reason for his baptism. He uses this opportunity to confess his oneness with Jesus Christ. Those who deny Christ deny the kingdom on earth. They deny the truth church. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian, they say. Just like you don't need to watch football to be a football fan, right? You don't need to know the rules. You don't need to go to the games. You don't need to watch the games. You can just go, hey, I love football. I don't know if you wish to be a sincere Christian and honestly be concerned, it is not enough to just go to any old church. You must go to a true church. A correct church. We know how many Christians have lost their faith in the last 50 years by flocking to these insipid, stupid, watered-down churches that do not preach the truth of Jesus anymore. They pander to the masses. We clearly recognize truth from error. They cannot judge the difference between law and gospel. I would tell you, I promise you, I would rather sing the liturgy of my God in Klingon opera than put up with a pastor who cannot tell me the difference between right and wrong. Who will use his slick words to hide over the truth and deny the words of Christ if he cannot deliver justice from greed, if he cannot make the difference between rhetoric and truth, he is not a minister of the gospel, and he should be fled from, flee from these guys. The second commandment forbids the taking of Christ's name in vain. This is what happens when we deny him. When we pray the second petition, we pray for God's assistance to confess him before the world. When we deny Christ, we transgress God's holy name. We jeer at the, the, the Lord's prayer. We weaken our baptismal covenant. We forsake a host of believing confessors who have gone before us. We owe it to the faithful of the world to be as truthful as we humanly can be truthful. Does Jesus not say the truth will set you free? Do we not owe it to our neighbors to confess the truth? Christ has given us a wonderful promise. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But then he adds that frightful, frightful threat. If you deny me before men, I will also deny you before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory. It's a terrifying threat. What good does it do any of us if we deny Christ but gain the entire world at the coming of Christ we will then lose the whole world and find ourselves condemned? On the other hand, what do we lose? If the world hates us, what do we really lose? Is it anything really of that much importance? Like John the Baptist, if the world hates us, what if they launch an investigation? Okay. What, what if they lobby against us? What if they threaten us? What if they threaten us with joblessness? What if they bully us? What if they beat us? What if they burn our homes? What if they shed our blood? What if, what if they take our heads? Jesus' head anyway, baptized and cleansed. I will not deny Christ, not one word. And in the place of temporal life, we inherit 
eternal life promised to us by our Father. And in the place of temporal disgrace, we earn eternal honor. And in the place of temporal pain, we, we are given and granted eternal joy and salvation. Let us above all, above all in these, these dark and dreary times, confess the faith and truth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, not only in our hearts, but in our mouths and on, on, on every fiber of our hair. For he is all yours. He is all yours. And you are all his. By faith. And so we confess that faith. And we receive that eternal life. And then there Christ will embrace us and we will be all his and he will be all ours for the, the apostles testify through the Holy Spirit. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Romans 10.10. 10. Now may the God of peace who sanctifies you completely, may your whole spirit and body and soul be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. In Jesus' name, amen.